0: Welcome back to A Push for Understanding. This is Chapter 17 of Spielbügel, The Enlightenment. And in my opinion, The Enlightenment can be summarized in just one simple quote from Kant, quote, dare to know, have the courage to use your own intelligence. And if you just watched uh, the last episode of this podcast, The Scientific Revolution, that might sound really familiar. Uh, having this, uh, connecting this idea of intelligence and daring to know, and uh, you know, conquering new elements and new ideas, and discovering new things for humanity at large, for the greater good of society, um, is really familiar. That's exactly what uh, many of the scientific thinkers and many of the scientific uh, discoverers of the time, um, you know, dared to do, and that is because the Enlightenment and the Scientific Revolution are really inter interconnected um, because the Enlightenment is just scientific revolution but mostly for humanity as a whole and how we should structure government, how we should structure uh, society, structure laws, structure economics, um, to find the right way to do it, the objectively best way to run a government, whether that's democracy, capitalism, uh, certain laws, certain um, policies that government should uh, should adopt. The Enlightenment is trying to find the objectively right way to change society, to adopt societal norms, uh, to to do it the right way. And I put quotes around the right way because there really is no right way, but they are trying to find the right way. And so this leads to a period of a lot of change, particularly, and most importantly, a change that is going to affect uh, sort of our understanding of the natural laws of people and how we should govern people accordingly to that. Uh, how it affects our education, how we can teach people uh, in their youth to make them um, more prosperous and help society prosper as a whole. It affects our religion and our religious beliefs. Uh, We're going to have a new religion, Methodism, because if there's one thing we've been lacking in European history, it's another religion. (laughs) Um, In addition to this, we see a few shifts, but not substantial shifts, to women's rights. We also see some... uh, a new era of art and music and literature develop, and we have um, a new sort of religious understanding uh, in, uh, coming up mostly through Methodism in England and in Germany. And so, like I said, the Enlightenment as a whole um, is basically a, a shifting view of how we should run the world, and one of the most I'd say consistent things throughout European history is the questioning of the church and that leads us to uh, the first, I believe big change is the rise of skepticism um, across Europe. Uh, there's growing skeptics of the church uh, and this is seen mostly through Bale. He argues that uh, he argues more for religious toleration and more religious freedom across across um, Europe, but we also see a growing, Um, number of deists, and a growing number of atheists uh, throughout European society. And so, um, like in the Scientific Revolution, there were a handful of people who made big societal changes uh, with their discoveries. We see this again in the Enlightenment. They are called the philosophes, um, which is a, uh, a French term. And it basically... Uh, like I said, it's it's like the scientists who um, made those big steps, made those big discoveries, but more for um, and uh, for the enlightened thinkers, it's more philosophical, and it's more um, objective, I I guess. And so, uh, uh, some of them are quite f- familiar with you. Probably Voltaire, Locke are going to be um, uh, familiar sounding names to you, but others might be less well known. So let's dive into them right now. So, the first one is Montesquieu. He publishes his book, The Spirit of Laws. He criticizes French values and traditions and really holds up the English and the Dutch for their governing systems. Um, That is similar among pretty much all of the philosophes. They uh, take a particular liking to the English way of governing with a limited uh, king, a non-absolute monarch, uh, built up by a parliament. And, sort of democracy. Um English or England is the most democratic nation in Europe at this point. Um even if, you know, only about 5% of their population is actually voting and deciding um, who is in power. It is most it is mostly the rich, but uh, they are still, you know, by by far the most democratic nation at this point. And so uh, Uh, Like I said, he criticizes uh, the French values and traditions, he challenges the church-slash-religion, and he challenges absolute monarchy. Uh, In addition, pretty much all the philosophers are going to advocate for religious toleration, uh, mostly towards the Jews and the Muslims, although, we'll get into this a little later, little actually changes. Uh, Montesquieu also denounces slavery, which is also a similar um a similar aspiration of most of the philosophers they do not take a particular liking to slavery they see it as inhumane and that it sort of breaks the laws of humanity or the 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 proper way to view humanity as a whole um, and like a, uh, like many of the philosophers montesquieu uses like reason and tries to find a more data-driven way to liberate humans from prejudices, and um, a lot of the policies from these philosophers are going to come from this reason, once again connecting the Enlightenment to the Scientific Revolution. The next is Voltaire, probably the uh, the face of the Enlightenment. He is by, by far the most uh, influential person of the Enlightenment. He's also very influential in the French Revolution, just in general very... Uh, important person. Similar to Montesquieu, he admires uh, the English freedoms. He advocates for a free press, uh, religious toleration, uh, and political freedom. He sort of roundaboutly criticizes absolutism in France. Of course, he lives in France, so he can't directly criticize the government of France, but he can through political satire, through humor, And through sort of coded language, he can criticize the government. And this sort of directly leads to the French Revolution, which we'll get into uh, in the next podcast. But just know that all these mostly French thinkers who are criticizing the government of France are going to be um, inspiring a lot of the changes of the French Revolution, particularly the French Revolution that takes place in Paris. Uh, Voltaire is then uh, banished from France because he's, uh, you know, bringing about some social chaos. He returns to France. His book is banned. Voltaire is pretty much exiled to his own large estate, um, where he essentially is just given more time to publish his long list of works, long list of things, um, and most, I guess, politically and uh, religiously significant, he intervenes in the Calas Trial, Essentially, a father is accused of, uh, is essentially tortured into admitting that he killed his own son to prevent him from converting to Catholicism. Voltaire uh, then intervenes, says that the trial was rigged, that the government, you know, framed him, and that he needs to, that you can't, you know, take a confession from a man who's been tortured and the new trial proves that his son committed suicide not that his uh, father had killed him and this really uh, spreads the work of voltaire shows that he's using you know reason scientific uh, reasoning to find the best way to run the government and it also um opens up most of society to um protestantism and it spreads uh, religious toleration between Protestantism and Catholicism to France uh, that had never been seen before, and that's going to pave the way for toleration of Jews, toleration of Muslims, toleration of agnostic people, which we're all going to see later on. Voltaire himself is deist, which means that he believes that there is a god Um but that God does not directly intervene in society, that he's not, uh, you know, creating miracles or he's not, uh, you know, issuing divine acts um, to save society or or intervene in the course of history. And overall, that leads to, um, uh, you know, a different view of studying history, of understanding history. There's a greater emphasis on humanity and how humanity can control our own destiny, whereas earlier it would be mostly that God is controlling history, God is you know, influencing people to I guess be the guiding hand of history, which means historians are a lot more objective and they're not really just blaming everything that happens on God. Um, but overall, Voltaire's rise of deism just ushers in sort of uh, a new thinking for the Philosophes. You're going to see this with, over time, the Philosophes are going to get more, air quotes, radical in their religious separation from the church. Um, Many of them at the beginning are going to be religious, but sort of skeptic of Catholic teachings. And then Voltaire is going to usher in deism, sort of questioning to a different extent uh, how much God himself is playing a role and then eventually we're going to get to Holbeck, who is completely agnostic, rejects the church and all religious doctrine. Um, but getting a little ahead of myself here, um, in addition to this, wrote, uh, oh, uh, exact same thing. wrote, he uh, says that religion is completely unreasonable. He says it's the most absurd thing. He publishes the Encyclopedia, which might not seem very controversial today, but it was actually banned in many of the countries. Uh, the encyclopedia attacks superstition, calls for religious toleration. It also says that society should be more cosmic, cosmopolitan, reasonable, and humane to people. Just looking out for greater, or like the greater humanity, looking out for your common man, trying to build a society that cares about everybody, not just the rich and the powerful kings and nobles at the top. Uh, in addition to this, encycl- the encyclopedia is very cheap, and so his ideas are spread very quickly among the French. Um, and in general, his ideas uh, gain a lot of traction, once again leading to the French Revolution. All back, like I said, he's atheistic, or agnostic, sorry. <laughs> um, he says that God, God is a product of, human, of the human mind, and says that humanity made it to... Uh, propel a social order and to enact morality a common morality of, among people and instead he uh, he says that people should just uh, shouldn't commit crimes not because they're fearful of god or a punishment for all of eternity but because it's just wrong and cruel that people should look out for each other and they should uh, look out for each other not because there's some you know mythical person above us uh, looking out for us and you know Trying to find or trying to hold us to a moral accountability, but just that we should do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Um, And so the evolution of these three Montesquieu, Voltaire, and Holbeck, you know, like I said, shows the growth of the philosophes to more uh, intensely uh, questioning the church. And that leads to um, a lot of challenge of religious doctrine and a rise of agnostic life across Europe, but mostly in Western Europe. You see it mostly in the Netherlands, which is by far, at least to me, I consider it at this point the most um, accepting and most sort of uh, progressive country of the time. Then we get into education mostly with Rousseau. Rousseau uh he's largely largely self uh self-educated he makes a he makes some significant uh doctrines he pushes a lot of significant doctrines about like humanity and freedom he says that humans should be or humans in their primitive condition were free with no government and all equality but they had no protected property and so humanity created government to hand over certain freedoms to hand over the absolute equality that we had uh, to trade in the protection uh, from chaos and protecting natural rights, natural rights like freedom of expression, freedom of religion, and other you know important freedoms that we would consider uh, enlightened. And so essentially Rousseau argues that government, Uh, is here to protect your rights, to protect your freedoms, to protect your property. And we trade in some, you know, absolute equality, absolute uh, freedom that would be, you know, closely related to a hunter-gatherer lifestyle, which is mostly chaos and, um, you know, the collapse of society. We trade in those values. We trade in those um, freedoms for the protection of our private property and our rights. But uh, most significantly, Rousseau can be pinpointed for his uh, education ideas. He, Through Emily, his book, he argues that the best way to teach someone is through their natural curiosity. That instead of teaching someone to read when they're five, uh, someone would naturally learn to read when they wanted to say, uh, write and receive letters from a friend. He says that people, when... Uh, you know, naturally curious about learning, that is when, uh, you know, real curiosity and growth takes place because people are actually curious. They want to understand it, not because society tells them to understand math or science or history, but that they themselves want to seek out that knowledge. And Rousseau argues that through reason, through thought, he can or that society as a whole can develop more quickly and more properly if we take that natural curiosity and harness it in a way that uh, teaches society how to do it basically themselves. Um, And it's important to mention at this point that Rousseau had, I believe, four children. Uh, None of them were taught this way. So Rousseau, he's kind of, I guess, a do as I say, not as I do. Um, so Rousseau's total argument is a little undercut by that, but, you know, still important. And so that leads us to sort of the end of the education and uh, religion and uh, uh, more governmental policy-wise effects of the Enlightenment. Now we'll talk about some of the lesser effects. These aren't as important, but they are still very important. There's a rise of literature, uh, particularly the novel is developed in England, and travel literature in general is developed across um, the world. Basically what that means is new books on travel, and different societies take place Uh, There's books of, like, James Cook from Oceania, you know, Captain Cook, as you might know him, and just the general uh, writings of pirates. There are books from China showing the mass amount of wealth and power that China has, and it shows that Christianity doesn't mean success, that other nations can be successful, like China, uh, who do not adopt Christianity as their main religion. And this also deepens skepticism uh, within Europe. And it also says, or travel literature also categorizes races. There is a more scientific understanding of racism. Racism is not now just built on singularly that one race is worse than the other. There is, quote, scientific reasoning for why a race is worse. And black people are, of course, ranked the lowest on this because Europeans need to justify slavery somehow. Um, and so travel literature as a whole has a big impact on adopting new ideas and new ways of running the world, because um, they see that the European way, the European-centric way of running a government is not the only way to run a government, and it doesn't mean success, and you can challenge and uh, you know grow inter- in certain systems, change certain systems uh, to develop more quickly and prosper more, and so the Travel literature of the time develops, uh, you know, necessarily along with the Enlightenment, as they both challenge and both uh, they both grow and challenge the system at the same time. Both of them sort of, you know, going back and forth between helping each other and, uh, you know, helping themselves. In addition to this, women's rights. I don't really see like a lot of change at this point, but it is in the book, so I'll talk about it women's rights uh women are seen as uh you know scientifically inferior to people they are challenged pretty much all the time by men a lot of their scientific contributions and enlightened contributions are not accepted by society at large at this point and are not really uh, popularized um or Adversely, they are taken credit for by uh, men, and so women at this point they don't really grow very much, but there is a there is uh, the the roots of women's rights, women's progress are beginning at this point. A lot of uh, women's societies and scientific societies involving women are beginning to grow, and women, particularly women who are married to rich men, are able to. Have some influence and uh, grow their influence uh, through their meetings uh, with the other philosophers. And finally, we have um, the growth of Methodism. This starts with uh, John Wesley. Sorry, John Wesley in uh, England. His Methodism uh, focuses more on a um, a more personal connection with God and methodism essentially says that uh having a more personal connection with god praying to him and talking with him uh you know more often than the catholic church would advise is the best way to um you know connect with god and ensure a way of going to heaven and so methodism it doesn't it, it does split from the church methodism does split from the church but like pretty much all other religious leaders in europe at this point uh, John Wesley or John John Wesley does not try. He does not really even want uh, to separate Methodism Methodism from the Catholic Church. But Methodism does eventually split after his death. And what that means is basically, if you have any problems with the Catholic Church, don't talk about them. Okay? Because no matter what you do, it seems that you are destined to split from the church. No matter what you try and do, you're probably always going to have to split from the Catholic Church and form your own religion. And that just makes it so much harder for all of us to learn European history when there's like nine different religions going on. So please, if you have a problem with religion, just shut up. And make it all easier for all of us. Because this, there's too many religions. I'm sorry. There's too many religions in European history. (laughs) Um, And aside from that rant, that's pretty much all I wanted to say. So I hope you learned something new. And I hope you'll come back for the next uh, podcast. Bye.